please turn with me to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45. You can find that in page 893. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45. We'll just concentrate on question 116. I'll read the question and you can respond by reading the answer. Why do Christians need to pray? Let us turn to a God's word. Our scripture reading this evening comes from book of James, James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. You can find that in page 1013 of your pew Bibles. James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, it endures forever. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, I generally never announce the title of my sermon in my preaching, but this evening, I'm making an exception. I have titled it, Nothing Works Like Prayer. In fact, I ripped it off from Dan Barker's song called, Nothing Fails Like Prayer. Barker was a former evangelical Christian preacher and a composer for 19 years. He is now the current co-president of the, of the Freedom of Religious Foundation. Let me read to you the first stanza and the chorus of the song. And please bear with me. The song goes like this. The farmers pray for precipitation, and they say, in God we trust. Then along comes the drought and dries their crops out and turns their prayers into dust. The next time they need some assistance, they should 
take the advice of Mark Twain, who said, it is better to check the weather report before you pray for rain. Nothing fails like prayer. Nothing fails like prayer. Use your mind and you will find nothing fails like prayer. Contrary to what Dan Barker said, contrary to what popular scientists say, contrary to what famous celebrities say, and contrary to what our own flesh and our feelings say, God calls us to pray at all times. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. God calls us to pray without ceasing. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. And in our scripture reading this evening from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, God specifically calls us to pray when we are in suffering and when we are in sickness. And this brings us to the theme of our sermon this evening. God, through the example of Elijah, encourages us to pray to him with eager expectation, especially during times of suffering and sickness. God, through the example of Elijah, encourages us to pray to him with eager expectation, especially during times of suffering and sickness. We'll see this truth under three points. The occasions for praying, the power of praying, and finally, the encouragement of, for praying. Let us consider the first point of the sermon, the occasion for praying. James tells us in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The Greek word that is translated as suffering can also mean affliction, hardship, and trouble. We should ask, what kind of suffering is James talking about? What kind of affliction, what kind of hardship, what kind of trouble? We should be thankful that James gives us this answer at the beginning of the chapter. Chapter 5, verse 4, talks about financial difficulty. Chapter 5, verse 6, talks about loss of a loved one. And finally, chapter 5, verse 11, through the example of Job, it talks about financial difficulty, loss of loved ones, as well as suffering from sickness and disease. During such circumstances, during such difficult situations, God calls us not to look upon ourselves and seek into self-pity, which would be the easiest thing to do, but rather during such trying times, God calls us to look to him. He calls us to call upon his name and to pray to him. Let him pray. That's what it says in verse 13. And let him pray in verse 13, it's not an option, but rather it is a command from the Lord. He must pray. Christian, when we suffer opposition, just like Prophet Jeremiah suffered opposition for standing for the truth, we must pray to God. When we grieve for the loss of our loved ones, just like King David grieved for the loss of his son Absalom, we must pray. When we have a marital breakdown or someone else in our family 
have a marital breakdown, just like Prophet Hosea had a marital breakdown? We must pray. When we have sickness or even a terminal disease that is wasting away our body, just like the righteous Job, where it boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, we must pray. And when the world, and when the world throws us into the fiery furnace because we are followers of Jesus Christ, just like they did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we must pray. There are two reasons that we must pray. The first reason is because God has commanded us. The second reason is we should be imitators of Christ Jesus. We should follow Jesus Christ. You see, the captain of our salvation, Lord Jesus Christ, was a man of prayer. Throughout the Gospels, we, find, we can find Jesus praying alone with his, fathers, with his father. His disciples, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus prayed while he was suffering. On the night that he was, when he was betrayed, he was praying. He said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And Luke chapter 22, verse 44 says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Therefore, Christian, we must pray when we are suffering. As one wise commentator said, prayer may not remove the affliction, but it most certainly can transform it. And the second part of verse 13, James calls Christians to sing when they are cheerful. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We get our English word psalm from this Greek word, which is translated as sing. James, he gives us a practical advice. The proper Christian response to suffering is prayer. And the proper Christian response to cheerfulness is song of praise. The next occasion for praying is when someone is sick. But James tells us that that sick person should call the elders of the church. You may ask, why call the elders of the church while I can pray on my own? Let me ask you a question. How many of us here are able to pray properly, pray without losing our focus, and pray with undivided attention at the end of a long day of work? When our bodies are tired, when our minds exhausted, we typically struggle to concentrate in our prayer. Likewise, the, per the person who is sick it's not someone who's having a slight headache or a common cold. This person is seriously ill. He's in terrible pain, and his mind is considerably disturbed. He's not able to concentrate. Such a person should call the elders of the church. The elders of the church should come by the side of the sick person and pray over him, anointing the sick person with oil in the name of the Lord. As many of you know that the Roman Catholic Church, it has seven sacraments, not two sacraments, 
the baptism and the Lord's Supper, which the Bible teaches. And the Roman Catholic Church uses this text as one of their proof texts to promote the sacrament of extreme unction. Sadly, they miss the fundamental emphasis of the scripture, which is prayer, not anointing with oil. Likewise, sadly, sadly, there are many snake oil salesmen who use this text to sell so-called anointed oil from the Holy Land, so-called anointed oil from Holy Jerusalem. These televangelists, they make a profit on the most vulnerable. They exploit the weak and the desperate. It is not the physical property in the oil that, that heals the person but rather the prayer of faith in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. That will heal that person. Do you remember the story in Acts 3, how Peter healed a man who was born lame from birth in the name of Jesus? Remember Peter's word in Acts chapter 3, verse 6? I have no silver and gold, but what do I do have, I give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That lame man, he walked. And when the people were all amazed at this, he told them, don't look at us, Peter and John. Don't look at us that as if by our own power, as if by our own piety, we have done this. If you think like that, you're missing the word big time. And in verse 16, Peter tells us, and it is his name. By faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And that faith, that is through Jesus, he has given this man a perfect health in the presence of you. It is Jesus who heals. Not the anointing with oil as if it is some kind of a magic. Throughout the Old Testament, we can see the kings of Israel, they have been anointed with oil to symbolize that they are being set apart for God's special attention, for God's special care. In our passage, as the elders pray, they are to anoint the sick person in order to symbolize that person has been set apart for God's special attention and care. Let us consider the second point of the sermon, the power of praying. In verse 15, and the power of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. We should ask this question, what is the power of faith? Is it some kind of a special power? The prayer of faith is not a special kind of power. It's not a special kind of prayer. But it is a prayer that is based on faith in Lord Jesus James tells us in the opening chapter, if you have your Bibles open, you can look at it in chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Likewise, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us, 
that without, verse 6, excuse me, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this prayer of faith that the elders will save, will restore, will bring relief to the person from sickness. And people of God, do you see the power of prayer here? People of God, do you see God encouraging you to pray here? There is also a danger here. On the one hand, the promise of healing for the sick, it gives us a much-needed corrective, especially for those who have trouble praying boldly. For we fear, sometimes we even assume that God will not do what we ask. Instead, we are to pray boldly, believing that he is the God of power and love and that he listens to the prayer of his people. And on the other hand, we should also be mindful of that truth that sometimes it is God's will that he leaves us in our sickness or in our physical infirmities, either for the good of our souls, for the betterment of our faith, and for growing in holiness. We all know what happened to Apostle Paul in Second. Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Three times he pleads with the Lord to remove the messenger of Satan from harassing him. But what does God, Lord Jesus Christ, reply to him? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And also think about the Lord's own teaching. Think about his own life. In the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught us, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Not my will, not our will, but your will, Father. Likewise, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew chapter 26, he prayed, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That is why it is so important that somewhere in our prayers that we find a perfect balance between never expecting God to heal and requiring him to heal on demand. As Paul Washer once said, to walk in the truth is like to walk on the edge of a razor blade. And there are ditches on both sides, and you can fall off in them. Avoid the extremes. Christian, we should, by the help of God, the Holy Spirit, avoid these extremes of seeing God as a stoic rock who does not care about you, and seeing God as a genie in a lamb who's there for your pleasure. We must pray for wisdom and discernment. And we must remember that our God, he's a loving God, and he's a caring father in Lord Jesus Christ. The next part of verse 15, it says, and if he has committed sins, 
he will be forgiven. And here too, we need to, we need to avoid the extremes. And we need to try to find a balance. On the one hand, not all sickness is due to sin. We clearly see that from the life of Job. The horrible suffering he had underwent was not because of a sin. On the other hand, some sickness is due to sin. Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 to 30, that some of the Corinthians are sick. They were sick because they participated in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Thus, when the elders pray and anoint the sick person, the Lord will not only restore the sick person's health, but the Lord will forgive that man's sin if he had committed sin. Christian, we should, again, by the help of God, the Holy Spirit, avoid extremes. We should not automatically connect somebody's sickness to their sin. And at the same time, we should not rule out the possibility of sin when we become sick. We must pray for wisdom and for discernment. Now in verse 16, James encourages Christian believers to confess their sin to one another. This is the only text in the New Testament that directly commands believers to confess their sin to one another. Again, brothers and sisters in the Lord, here also, here also we need to find a right balance. Here also we need to avoid the extremes. On the one hand, we should reject the Roman Catholic's interpretation that we should confess our sin, our sins to a Catholic priest, which is unbiblical. On the other hand, if we confess all our sins to all people randomly and aimlessly, that would be a recipe for disaster. Let me repeat what Paul Washer said. To walk in the truth is like to walk on the edge of a razor blade. There are ditches on both sides, and you can fall off in them. Avoid the extremes. We must pray for wisdom, and we must pray for discernment. And when it comes to confession, there are three levels of confession. Secret confession, private confession, and public confession. Let me give you a quick summary of each of these confessions. First, we have secret confession. Secret sins need to be confessed to God alone in secret. Let me give you a quick example. If you have looked at someone with lustful intent in your heart, definitely you need to repent of that sin, and you definitely need to ask God for forgiveness. However, you're not required to tell this sin to that particular person. Second, we have private confession. Private sins need to be confessed to the person or the persons against whom we have sinned. Let me again give you another example. If you have stolen your friend's lunch in the office or your sibling's lunch at school, you need to confess it to your friend or your sibling and ask their forgiveness. But you don't have to confess it to your boss or your classmate. And finally, the public confession. Sin against a group, a community, or an old congregation must be confessed to the old congregation publicly. 
The next thing James says is to pray for one another. He's calling us to do intercessory prayers. And some of us, we struggle with prayer. We may say this in our mind. God is sovereign. That's correct. He's in absolute control of everything. That's true. There is not a single rogue molecule or a single rogue nation that escapes this rule. We just read it in in Psalm 33. He will do what he wants to do. So what's the point of praying? If that's how you feel about prayer, let me ask you a question. When the scripture says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, does it mean that we stop eating, eating food because it is God who sustains us ultimately? The answer is no. Likewise, listen to the Idleberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45, answer 116. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of thankfulness that God requires of us. And also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for for these gifts. We pray to show our gratitude to God. We pray because God calls us to do. And God calls us to confess us into one another and pray for one another so that we can experience physical healing. James then says, the prayer of a righteous man is very powerful and it's working. Who is a righteous man? The answer is very simple. Those who are washed by the blood of the Lamb, those who are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, those who by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, were justified before God. In short, every true believer of Lord Jesus Christ. James tells us, that prayer is a powerful weapon in the hands of every true believer of Lord Jesus Christ. It does not require a super saint to wield it effectively. This is a wonderful reminder about the power of prayer. This is a wonderful reminder about the effectiveness of prayer. Let us consider the final point of the sermon. Brothers and sisters of the Lord, I don't know about you, when I think about Prophet Elijah, two things come to, comes to my mind. The first thing is, is his famous encounter that he had with the prophets of Baal in Mount Carmel. When he prayed, when Elijah prayed, you can read that in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30 to 39. When he prayed, fire from heaven fell. Lord answered him from fire, with the fire from heaven. The second thing I think about is that Elijah is the only other person along with Enoch who did not face death. He was taken up to the heavens in the chariots, in the chariots of fire. You can again read it in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. Seemed to me 
Elijah is a powerful guy. It seems to me he's really powerful in praying. But for James, these facts about Elijah, they don't seem to be impressive. But what seemed so impressive for James, the most important fact that Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was a man with a nature like us. And when Elijah prayed, and he earnestly prayed that it might not rain, it did not rain for three and a half years. And verse 19 tells us, then he prayed again, the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James is making a simple point here. He's making a simple statement here. Elijah was an ordinary man like us. He used the ordinary means of praying to God. But the result was extraordinary. God answered his prayer by stopping the rain and later bringing the rain when he prayed, when he prayed again. Let me give you two more examples of this nature. Joshua. Joshua was an ordinary man with a nature like us. And he used ordinary means of praying to God. But again, at the end, the result was extraordinary. God answered Joshua's prayer by stopping the sun. Joshua chapter 10. Likewise, King Ezekiah, he was an ordinary man like us. And he used ordinary means of praying to God. And again, the result was extraordinary. God answered his prayer by adding 15 years to his life. You can read that in 2 Kings chapter 20, as well as in Isaiah chapter 38. Brothers and sisters of the Lord, this is an encouragement that God is giving us as people to pray, to pray confidently, to pray with them with eager expectation, especially during our time of suffering and sickness. Why? Because the prayer of an ordinary Christian like you and me is powerful and effective. As a farmer, you should pray with eager expectation to God that he would give you rain, that he would bless you with good harvest. And as a person suffering from anxiety or depression, you should pray with eager expectation to God that he would help you to overcome your anxiety and depression. As 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 tells us, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, and that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. This is especially true when praying for the person who has backslidden. And this is how James ends the chapter in verses 19 and 20. In the previous verses, he talked about the importance of praying for physical healing, both as individuals and as a body of believers. Now, he encourages us to pray for the spiritual healing of a lost person, as a, lost in, a person who has backslidden from our church family. Listen to what A.W. Pink says. 
In praying for his enemies, not only Christ set before us a perfect example of how we should treat those who wrong us and hate us, but he also taught us never regard any as beyond the reach of prayer. So Christian, pray boldly. Pray boldly for the sister who has chosen the lesbian life. Pray boldly for your son, for your grandson who doubts his Christian faith. The scripture tells us the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And finally, dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let us then with confidence, with confidence, with, with eager expectation, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray with eager expectation. Let us pray with anticipation that when our will is as same as God's will, God will surely say yes to our prayer for the glory of his name. For nothing works like prayer. Nothing works like prayer. Use your mind and you will find that nothing works like prayer. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we are so grateful for giving us this wonderful opportunity of talking to you. We are so grateful for encouraging us to pray to you with eager expectation, especially during times of suffering and sickness. Help us to pray. Help us to live like your son, Jesus Christ. In this name we pray, amen. Now as a song of response, let us again lift up our hearts and our voices by singing from our Trinity Psalter hymnal to hymn 518, Come My Soul With Every Care.
Our offering this evening goes to Madison Reformed Church in Madison, Indiana. Let us pray. Father, uh, we ask that you would bless Reverend Colin Wells' work at Madison Reformed Church. We pray that you would bless the offering that we are about to take. Help us to be uh, generous givers. Help us and use us for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please rise with me. At this moment, let us confess our undoubted Christian faith by using the words of the Nicene Creed. You can find that in page 852 of your Trinity Psalter hymnal. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and it shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, 
and I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.